Welcome to In the Middle of It. I'm Amy Kelly, and I am passionate about supporting you on the front lines with your middle schoolers. As a former middle school teacher myself and a parent to two teens of my own, I get the roller coaster season that you're in. That crazy making, joy inspiring, incredibly fun, and sometimes frustrating ride of loving the teens in your life. Each week, I'm going to be sharing actionable stories and strategies to encourage and equip you on your journey. If you're a parent or a teacher who's looking to forge a connection that lets your teens know they are seen, heard, and loved, and if you are ready to show up as the grown-up they need, you are in absolutely the right place. Let's get started. Well, hey there and welcome, friend. I am so excited to share a conversation that I had recently with my two good friends, Kelly Abernathy and Emily Robertson. Now, if you've been with me for a while, you already know these two amazing ladies. In fact, they were on the last episode of the podcast, and we talked all about how books saved our lives. So I hope you caught that episode. Now, at the end of that one, I alluded to something scandalous that we're going to be talking about on today's show. Now, Kelly, Emily, and I are talking about the issue of banned books. And I'm going to warn you up front, we all three at different points definitely get up on our soapboxes around this issue. We all have some very strong feelings about this hot topic. But before we dive in, let me tell you a little bit about my two friends if you haven't already caught this about them in previous episodes. So first up is Emily Robertson. Now, she is an author and an Arkansan. And she has been a bookseller in Little Rock, a newspaper reporter in Vicksburg, a marketing manager in Boston, and a writer in Chapel Hill and Dallas. She graduated from Brown University and has a master's degree in English from UT Austin. And she now lives in Little Rock, Arkansas with her husband, three sons, and no pets. Kelly Abernathy is a former business executive happily transformed into a writer, yoga teacher, and practical life skills advocate for trauma survivors. She graduated from the University of Kansas with a Bachelor of Science in Secondary English Education. Now, as I mentioned before, both of them have been guests on the podcast. Last week, um, they were both part of episode 156, where we talked about how stories have saved our lives. And you also will want to make sure to catch episode 69, where M and I discuss her book, Lifestyles of Gods and Monsters, and episode 155, where Kelly and I talk about her book, The Aqua Marine Surfboard. I am so excited to welcome back to the podcast my two beautiful friends, M and Kelly, Emily Robertson and Kelly Abernathy. And I'm going to give them the opportunity to introduce themselves if you haven't caught the previous episode that we did on Story Save Lives. Em, why don't you jump in and tell us again all about you and what you do. I'm Emily Robertson. I'm the author of the young adult novel Lifestyles of Gods and Monsters and the adult novel Life, Motherhood, and the Pursuit of the Perfect Handbag. I also have a YouTube channel where I talk about creativity and that's just Emily Robertson and then make a lot of TikToks with aesthetics <laughs> and other videos at Robertson Emily. That's what I'm doing right now. And I'm always writing new things. Awesome. All right. Thank you. And then Kelly. Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly Abernathy, the author of the Aquamarine Surfboard, which just came out in January of this year, Atmosphere Press. It's an upper middle grade novel, science fantasy 
very much about exploring magic, both the everyday kind and the really big kind that I will just put in a big category of ocean magic. And I have loved writing this book. Once it was finished, couldn't wait to throw myself into the second book that is set in the same world. And just really glad to be here with y'all today. All right. Thank you guys for being here. I will. I feel like I need to give a warning about what we're about to talk about because I tend to get super passionate about it. And as we've talked about before, the three of us, when we talk about personalities in our novels and how we're writing them and characteristics that they have, sometimes we talk about personality and all the different ways that you can look at personalities. I feel like the one that we talk about a lot is as elements and my element is definitely fire, (laughs) I would say. Kelly, I think you've talked about yours being water. Em, what have we talked about yours being? What do you think yours is? Are you fire too? Are you? I'm water? not fire. I You're think I'm fire. water. Your water is water well. or air. Okay. Maybe air, really, not yeah. fire. Okay. Well, regardless, I think we are all pretty passionate about what we're talking about today, and that is banned books and what is going on in the United States right now. And I just want to clarify because I was trying to talk about this with someone recently and they thought I was saying band, like as a marching band. (laughs) I'm like, no, no, no. Just to clarify band as in forbidden and censored and taken out of libraries and classrooms, banned books. So the first thing that I'll say about this is that it feels like this has become a much bigger issue over the past couple of years than it has been in a really long time. And I want to say just over the past couple of months, just since January or maybe December, I know I've read countless articles about books being banned. And in fact, Kelly just shared an article with me recently that was talking about school systems where administrators are quietly coming in and pulling books off the shelf because they're worried about controversy around them. So it's not going through a process. Nobody has actually protested them. They're just being pulled from the shelves. And that, my friends, is terrifying to me. For me, banning books goes against everything, every fiber in my being, because I feel like everyone should have access. And there's nothing that I or my children can read that we cannot talk our way through and communicate about. So I'm curious for the two of you, Kelly and M, what are your thoughts just initially, just your baseline around banned books? My first thought, and I think this is something you're going to be doing, Amy, and which I'm really excited about. My first thought about it is let's get these really controversial books and let's sit down and talk about them Mm -hmm. and really hash through in groups as much as possible, whether it's through a book club or some other community activity. Let's really talk about it because when we do, I think we'll find that a lot of the perceptions are not exactly what certain people may have believed that they were, but I guess I see this as a call to action. That's what Mm -hmm. I'm trying to say. Some kind of action of bringing people together to really sit down and dig in to the controversy. Okay. Thank you. How about you, Em? I think for me, there's multiple different issues, but one of the things that I find the most upsetting is there are several authors whose work 
I really love, there's an author named Aisha Saeed. She's a Muslim writer and she's written wonderful middle grades that are, that are set with Muslim characters in that world has seen her books pulled from the shelves from places because people are afraid to have their kids read about Islam. And to me, just the whole idea that our kids, whether we like it or not, our kids are growing up in a very big world. And so the idea that we're going to say, you have to wait until you're a certain age, which honestly is like, what, 19, if you're pulling things from high school, 18 or 19, to read books about other cultures, other religions, other gender preferences, sexualities, as though by not having those books, you're going to remove all those things. It's so wild to me, but also it gets back to what Amy was saying, which is that our kids live in this world. So if we don't let them read and talk to us and have all the experience you have of, you know, really learning about another culture or another people, we seed the ground to stereotype, to what they can find on YouTube. And the other thing is that if our kids are curious about something, they're going to look it up. This is, I'm holding up my phone. This is a black box. I don't know what they're looking at on this, but if they read a book, I can read the book too. And then we can actually talk about it and have a conversation about it. And I think that there seems to be some idea that if we don't talk about it, it doesn't happen it's not real but that's just ludicrous of course it's real well that and then I would also add to this and this is actually a question Kelly Abernathy that you posed to me several years ago um, as we were having discussions about something with my own kids I don't remember exactly what the discussion was but this has stuck with me what are you protecting your kids from by not allowing X, Y, and Z. And I think that's such a really great question here because I feel like one, like you were saying, um, people maybe don't know how to talk about things. Maybe they don't know how to communicate their own values, beliefs, and priorities around different topics. And so they avoid it and banning those books or censoring them for their kids is maybe how they handle it. I think the other thing is that there's so much fear about letting kids read specific things. And the question that I have to ask is, what are you afraid of? What are you protecting them from? And I think for me, and I think I'm in a somewhat, and maybe it's not that unique. It feels unique at this point in time, because I am a Christian and I have a lot of similar values, beliefs, and priorities to a lot of Christians here in the United States. But I would also say that my values, beliefs, and priorities are very centered around freedom and openness and the ability to talk again to my kids about anything. And so if I shut them down, whether it's a book or a TV show or a movie or whatever kind of media, rather than stepping into it with them, just like you said, they are going to find answers somewhere else. They're going to be having a discussion with someone somewhere, somewhere else. And I would so much rather it be me, my husband, or other trusted adults. I would love for all the many friends that we have, if my kids reached out to one of those adults or whatever, but just the whole idea of can't read or don't read me being that fire girl again, that equates to me. And I know to many teenagers as, oh, well, I must read it now. Like, so slapping that label on it, I think is actually doing the opposite. 
I have a story about this doesn't impact anyone in the present day. When I was in the (laughs) sixth grade, our library, somebody borrowed a book at the public library that was an upper middle grade, lower YA book in which a boy got an erection. And that book was passed around our classroom until a parent found out about it. And then that book was protested and it was pulled from the library. Everything was shut down. Everything was a Judy Bloom. It wasn't a Judy Bloom book. Okay. It was like a book I've never even seen again. It was like a little, okay. it was clearly geared towards boys. It had very much a boy cover. We all passed it around. You know what? Pulling that book didn't stop. Boys going through puberty, dealing with having an erection on the diving board, which is where this boy had it happen in the story. And so whatever the parents thought they were doing by taking that book out, their sons started to have it happen and had no knowledge of it. Anyway, just even at the time, I remember thinking, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. We don't stop having body. I mean, this is sixth grade. And I was like, we don't, we don't well, stop is, having bodies just because you took the book out of the library. But what you stopped having was conversation. Right. Because then it became shameful and forbidden. Right. Except we didn't, you know, it's so funny. Well, Amy, you brought up you being fire and I'll just say me being water. There's a part of me about all this actually as horrifying as it is, I find it very humorous. I mean, my kids are grown, so I will say this and I look back and yes, I think there was a period in my life where I also maybe had a false sense of control about what (laughs) I could do to influence my children's development, but that's what it is. The way I look at it, this is a false sense of control. And if I look at myself as water, like water goes everywhere. It seeps into things. It finds its way. You cannot stop water. I mean, and that to me, this issue with protecting or influencing or controlling what our kids think, especially in a world that's an international internet driven, data driven world, there is almost a really surreal comical element to me about it because it's so, so naive. And also I want to ask people, okay, do you have all your parents' values I mean, do you share all the values your parents have? And I think many of us would say, well, yeah, I'm really glad that they influenced me in certain ways, but to to all of the points that y'all have made, we've all made our, our own choices, gone our own way. I really am struggling. I think I am. I think it's really good you, you're having this discussion, Amy. I think the biggest question I'm struggling with is how... This doesn't seem like a very intelligent or realistic effort either, because it is not going to stop kids from exploring all of these ideas. And it may very well, it probably does incentivize them to go to look into certain issues. And it also, I think, could really backfire on a lot of the authority parental figures that may try to impose this. Because again, I'm speaking from my own experience, my own life journey. I think that can build a lot of resentment over time. It's very disempowering for our kids too. Yes. I'm just going to jump in there because I feel like that is the underlying message that is just pounded into our kids is we don't trust you. Yes. We don't trust you to be able to read this, talk about this, understand this, fill in the blank there. We don't trust Mm -hmm. you. I think the other issue here, 
too, for me. So I've done a lot of research recently about the different band books. And one of the things that I really took a look at being here in Texas is there's a specific politician who's put out a list of books. There are over 800 on it. And basically this letter to all of the school districts was tell us if you have these books in your library and justify it. To me, that was the bottom line. What most of those books were, were a lot of them were LGBTQ. A lot of them had to do with things of a racial nature. A lot of them had sex in them, specifically described sex. Especially with my kids, I feel like we're able to very openly speak about sex and not just in a specific way, but just in a worldview kind of way and thinking about things. And one of the things that I, and the three of us have had this conversation before, I think, the way that Generation Z thinks about sexuality is completely different and other than any generation before theirs. Mm -hmm. It is, it's just completely different. It's a whole different way of viewing things than what we're familiar with. And so I think that in itself makes it a little bit scary to parents because it is so foreign to us. And I think that fear causes us to want to shut it down and to shove what our experience has been and what our beliefs are onto our kids. When we do that, then we have no idea what they think. (laughs) We have no idea how they feel about things. And we have just no idea because we're not having the conversation. And again, I can feel myself getting on that soapbox again. I'm going to take it down a notch. (laughs) But So I think for me, these books that are on this list are valuable in being able to start the conversation with my kids rather than being a negative thing. It's a super positive thing to be able to say, oh my gosh, I was reading this book and this is what it was talking about. And I wasn't aware that that was a thing, so forth and so on. A lot of times my kids have educated me on in those conversations about things that I wasn't sure what they were. It's given us a lot of depth in what we've been able to talk about that, again, all I can see to your point, Kelly, is that taking those off the shelf is just the same as digging a hole, well, putting your head in it and burying it. I feel like there's two parts to it. We, and if you listen to the earlier podcast, we talked about this for me there were two things that books gave me. The first is the ability to understand other people's experience. And the second is to not feel so alone when I was completely isolated. And at the point that books saved my life, it was because I was as alone as I've ever been in my life. For me, the thought that there is the studies pretty consistently show going back to the Kinsey's, I mean, a hundred years of this, that at least 10% of people are LGBTQ. So look around a class of a hundred kids, it's like at least 10% of them, mm-hmm. that is true for them. And so if you're in a very small town in Texas and you have banned the one book with a gay character in it, it means that kid may think they're the only person who's ever felt this way. And that level of isolation, I think I almost want to ask those parents, like it has consistently shown that level of isolation is part of why LGBTQ kids have the suicide rate that they do and the, yeah. you know, all the other things. And so you think it's like people think, oh, that's going to put the idea in their head. If you've ever talked to a gay person in your life, the book did not 
put the idea in their head. The, all the book gave them was a sense that they weren't broken, that they were, that there are other people in the world who have had that experience. And in the same way that all these books that are being pulled about racism, that basically they're books that either tell stories of people of a different race's experience or actually make white people reckon with the history of racism in this country. Well, taking them away doesn't take away that history. It just makes us really confused as a white person, I would say, because I don't think when we were coming up, Kelly talked about this before, but I don't think as a white person growing up in the South, I had a very clear sense at all of the depth of the racial trauma and how long it continued to happen. I don't think I really understood how long it continued forward. And so I didn't really understand why it was still present for people. And that's the thing where books are incredibly helpful for letting you see another person's experience. It's like people think if we take the books away, we take the things away, but we don't, we just make them hidden, but they're still there. Right. Are and they we're... really hidden though in our society? No, I don't even think they're hidden. No, I know, no. I, and I'm just saying too, though, that that's where the naivete of this whole thing comes in. I know there are still people that choose to live in bubbles where they just hang out with people who believe very similar things. I get that, but I still struggle with this idea that they think that they can protect their children from being influenced by not just books, but all of the media messages that are coming in. It's not just books, but kids are bombarded with that. And to your point, as far as confusion, I think that's all it is, is it's causing this great confusion. But as we've all mentioned, kids still know about this stuff and they're still talking about it. And there's still ways that they're being influenced by all of these different forces. And also, I want to say too, since Amy, we talk about stories save lives. I think um, you remind us too, that banned books cost lives. I'm sure they do. Yes. Because there are kids that don't have any way, even the act of knowing that these books on gender issues or racial are being banned, that's another traumatizing thing for kids to know. And they know, regardless, they know. if they can't find the books in their library, they know these books are being banned and that there are adult authority figures trying to control access to things that deeply influence their personal identities. Yeah. And I think that speaks to the fact that kids are so much smarter and capable than we ever give them credit for, no matter what age they are. I just think they mm -hmm. have a capacity that we forget. And I think Kelly, you and I were having this conversation the other day, even going back to some children's literature, talking about Charlotte's Web. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in today's climate, if you look at the original cartoon version of E.B. White's book and you compare it to, and this has been at least a good decade ago, because my kids were little when it came out because we went to the theater to see it. But the live action version that had Julia Roberts in it, and it was a lovely movie. But if you compare the two, the issue of death and those big things that kids ponder about and think about and wonder about, for the most part, wiped clean out of that newer version. And I just think when we do that, when we take a topic that's hard or uncomfortable or might cause pain or distress in our kids, and we try to 
soften it or wipe it away or however you want to put it, it is such a disservice to them. And we're not teaching them how to handle their big feelings around those issues, whether it's death or sex or sexuality or racism or violence or whatever. I'm thinking there's one book in particular, and I'll provide a link to it. I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but it's by a Texas author. And I want to say she is Latina and she's written a book that based on a true event that happened in the thirties and it's a school exploded. I think there was some kind of tragedy where hundreds of school kids died in this explosion. And part of it is a romance between this one girl who's Latina in the school and the one boy who is black. And I'm fairly sure that there is a rape scene in it. And so I do think as a mom, and again, Kelly, you and I have talked about this before, and Kim, I think you would agree. I'm not so concerned with high school kids where this is concerned. I think what you were talking about, M, the formative books that you read in seventh and eighth grade during the time when it was so hard for you. And I think typically those are hard years for kids because the development they're going through, avoiding those kinds of books where there are horrible things that happen to characters is not something that we necessarily want to protect our kids from. Because again, they see it a million other places and they're talking about it somewhere with someone. Mm-hmm. It it's happens. happening. It's happening. It's happening. We can all pretend that no seventh grader has ever been raped, but that's not true. It's happening in our churches. It's happening in our schools. And when we take that to where we're like, it becomes unmentionable. That means the person who it happened to can't get help. Can't get help. I just can't imagine why we want to build structures that make it easier for people to oppress other people. Yeah. And you know, the old, it's such a trite saying, but there is so much truth in knowledge is power. I mean, why do we know that most child molesters are comfortable in churches and schools or these settings where there are a lot of kids in a lot of situations, especially I'm going to talk about religious organizations. It's because there's this naive attitude around it so that the idea of a molester grooming a child is something that the kids and often the other adults around them don't even recognize. So yeah, we don't want our kids growing up in a a situation where they're fearing being raped or a lot of these other things, but having an awareness that those things are real and what those signs, what that looks like, because that's where a lot of times, if we just forget about the stories and we talk about the real life events, a lot of times it's just like murder. It's someone, you know, someone you're familiar with, and you didn't see it coming. And we are taking those tools, those survival skills away from our children. I think another thing that parents will say, I can totally envision parents saying this, is that my kid read this book and they found it very upsetting. But the thing about that is that like, you can pick like the most, this is going to sound like a silly example, but I'm just going to tell it. My kids were terrified by Scooby-Doo for Mm -hmm. years, like (laughs) well past. Now they could watch Lord of the Rings. I mean, they were, it was, it was past the age where they were watching Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, all this stuff, not scary. Scooby-Doo, 
terrifying. Does that mean that Scooby-Doo should be banned? No, it means that I need to tell my kids, if you start reading something and it's scaring the pants off of you, stop reading it. I think part of the truth is there are kids who in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, maybe aren't emotionally ready to read a book. Well, if they start reading it and they're having a really hard time, you can say step back. The other part of that is if what they're finding upsetting is facing things that truly are upsetting, okay. You know, racism is upsetting. That's an appropriate response to a verbal thing. Yes. It's like you were saying about everything else. Me not reading about it doesn't make it go away. It's like the thing about the Holocaust. Yeah, it was terrible. Well, identified that it was terrible and our kids need to know about it. Yes. You know, it's funny. I was sitting here thinking about, we started out talking and you just mentioned the Holocaust and we talked about Charlotte's Web. One thing a lot of the older books didn't shy away from as much is death. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting because death is death and it happens. It's happening the same way it's always happened. But somehow in Little Women, Beth dies. We have all these things. Oh, I hope but- that wasn't a spoiler for me, but the- <laughs> Although I will say if they haven't read it by now, they should have. So, all right. I was I'm backing say, off. No, okay. Well, you can just cut that part out. No, no I'm not. In, I'm the not. old classic, but I mean, I'm just saying that I'm thinking through a lot of the ones we're talking about and people are getting sick and dying and it's just a natural part of the story. And yet we're talking about, there has been this movement in the last however many years of protecting our children from that too, right? I think so. But I think they're drawn to it. If you think about like John Green's work and the fault in our stars and the two main characters of that, I think kids want to think about it and know about it and wonder about it. And well, yeah, because it's real, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And well, in the issue of suicide or the issue of that, I don't think there are that many kids that, that haven't had experiences by high school with someone who's committed suicide. Yeah, especially now, especially now. I think one of the other things that I I feel like is also around, and this goes back to even like, you know, when rock and roll first started or jazz music or something, there seems to be this theory that like you wouldn't, people wouldn't do it if they couldn't read about it. If they didn't read about it, the reading about it was what put the idea in their heads. And it's like, no, I think people pretty much like you think about the big things like sex, death, drug use, alcohol, people who don't read are still doing that. Right. Right. I wanted to circle back to something you said with the Scooby-Doo story, which I love. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. But I think what you said about if something scares you, stop. That goes back to what I said at the very beginning, which is it's about trust. So if you're saying that to your kids, you're saying, I trust that you know yourself and that if it's scaring you, you will stop because I, you have the capacity and the ability to do that. And I trust you to do that. So it all goes back to me to that one thing is right. trust, trusting them. And then also on the flip side, building the trust between us, they can trust me that I am able to speak to them about these horrible, hard things in a way that reflects my respect for them and my trust in them. So it's just this whole beautiful circle of it keeps feeding itself. Whereas if you stop and you don't have that, then they're not going to come and talk to you. 
That's why what my hope and prayer is, is that the one thing is I hope there are lots of conversations, no matter how difficult around this subject, you right. know, not only within families, but in the community, within the schools, all of the decision makers who are involved in this whole thing, politicians to educators to, you know, parents. I think what's really interesting too is I think it might be a little bit, this whole issue is a sign of the fact that sometimes we, you know, we're, there are parts of our society. I'll just say parts because it's certainly not everyone by any means. I'm overall, I'm uplifted about where we are because I think we've learned we can come together and we can have a conversation where we aren't necessarily agreeing. Yes. And we're not going to agree. A book is a classic thing where we have all read the same books, but I bet if we sit down to talk about them, there would be areas in those books where we might have some disagreements or we might've had different, differing perspectives on what was going on because we all see through a different lens. And in a family, what I think is so wonderful and you two ladies, I think do such a good job of it is your kids don't always have to agree with you. They're not going to agree with you just like we didn't agree with our parents all the time, but you can share why you're thinking or why you believe certain things. And frankly, this is my experience, but normally if I get in conversations with people who believe a little differently than I do, a lot of times my perspective shifts in some way. It may not shift to their point of view, although sometimes it has, but it all of a sudden it's that aha moment. Like when we read the hate you give, even though that wasn't our experience where it's like, oh, I get it now. I sort of get why this person comes from this place because they've had these experiences and this is what this means to them. And I just feel like if we could have these conversations, there would be so many healing moments. Well, thank you for teeing that up for me <laughs> beautifully. I know that wasn't your intent, but that is exactly what I am going to provide starting in May. I am starting a Stories Save Lives Band Book Club. I've actually pulled my list of books for the next few months that we're going to have this book club online together. I pulled it directly from that list that the politician here in Texas did. So all of the books are from that list. So like you, we were talking about earlier, Kelly, being able to pull them out and read them all and talk about them all together. So I will be giving more details about that once we've wrapped up our conversation. But I just want to let people know that that is coming. Here's the interesting thing that I found. When I did my research, I truly could not find anything. And perhaps it's because they've been censored, which is a whole nother issue on social media or through Google or whatever. There aren't really any organized groups around banning books other than like the politician's office that I saw or whatever. I think for the most part, it encouraged me to see that most people feel like it's a horrible thing. I also think that the people who think it's a horrible thing may also have a little bit of apprehension about, okay, well, wait a second, what is this book about? And yes, I don't want to ban it, but is it something my kids should be reading now or maybe later or whatever? There's some mystery around it or maybe even misinformation. And so that's what I just want to sweep out of the way and just lay everything out there and have great conversations around these books. 
And I would say the other thing is for people, I've been reading about this, for people who want to figure out ways to support authors whose books have been banned or some of these school districts where books have been pulled, there are some really great organizations as far as donating books to Mm -hmm. some of these places where the books have been pulled or buying books from authors. And when you look at Angie Thomas on Twitter, she talks about this and other people, there are some high profile authors who have had their book sales go up, but a lot of people, especially with these soft bands have had their book sales go way down because people haven't really known about them. And so when you start thinking about, oh, I'd like to buy a book from a band book list, maybe buy one a little further down because there are some authors who are starting to wonder if it makes sense for them to even write books anymore, if they're going to have this sort of administrators pulling them off the shelf kind of And that's especially true for LGBTQ people and for people of other religions because they're getting all this pressure about writing something controversial and really all they're writing is a story that's often very personal to them. And it's just sort of heartbreaking. So if you're looking about banned books, definitely supporting authors who are newer and less well-known. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That is super important. And I will provide some resources, some links on the show notes page. I will dig into that and we can talk more so you can share maybe some places where I can look so that people can go to those and really support, because I think that's the other big thing. It can't, this can't just be a conversation. It has to be action as well as far as supporting authors buying the books, supporting the librarians as well. Yeah. And the other thing is a lot of times those books, when they're banned, and this is the double-edged sword of social media, some of those authors have found themselves really horribly attacked online. Mm, Yeah. Basically trolled. So it's like their book got banned and then they got attacked. And so just really, I feel like that we have this thing where the majority of people don't think it's wrong, but maybe aren't saying to those authors and to those And by extension to those kids, like, thank you for putting your book in the world. Thank you for sharing your story. So all they're hearing is this horrible, you're hurting our children message when all they're trying to do is help. I love that. Because that's super important. We want to encourage everyone to use their voices. Isn't that what we want for our kids? Why would we try to squelch someone else's? (sighs) All right. Thank you guys. I love having these conversations with you. You are fabulous. And I will make sure also to provide links to your beautiful books as well so that people can find those and read those. I highly encourage you guys to do that because these two ladies here, their work is incredible. Thank you for the conversation today. I know it won't be the last time we talk about banned books, whether it's on the podcast or not, but thank you for um, jumping into this with me. And there was plenty of room on the soapbox for all of us today. All right. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thank you again, Kelly and M, for hanging out with me and just rocking this discussion that we had around banned books. Now, there are a couple of things that I wanted to follow up on from the conversation that the three of us had. The first is that I did actually come across an organized group. I'm sure it's it's not the only one, but it's the one that I have found in my research that advocates for censorship, and it is called moms for liberty. And so you, um, you can find them online and kind of get an idea of what they stand for and what they're doing. 
in this area of books. Um, Also, after this conversation, I was convicted about those authors who, like Emily mentioned, might be feeling a little bit beaten up and hated on, especially on social media. And for me, this episode has been all about taking action. So on my website, I have created a list of authors whose books have been challenged or banned. I'm slowly going through this list online and I am providing links to these authors' social media or to their website contact page so that anyone, and that means you, can click on a name and send a message of encouragement to those authors so that they are hearing from those of us who feel so strongly about banned books. Now, you can find that page on my website at theishgirl.com forward slash encourage and author. That's all one word after the backslash. Okay. Also, the book that I mentioned, the one that I couldn't remember the name of that is so controversial and is about a small Texas town in the 1930s, is a novel by Ashley Hope Perez called Out of Darkness. And that leads me into the part of this episode that I am so super excited about. This summer, I am hosting a banned books club, and each month in June, July, and August, I'll be facilitating a conversation around a book that has been challenged or banned here in Texas. Now, let me just reassure you, this is not just a book club for Texans. The only reason I mention that is because I am pulling the titles from something called the Kraus List, which if you're not familiar with it, um, there's a link to it in the show notes where you can read about it. Um, Basically, it is a list that a politician here in Texas came up with, with like over 800 and something books on it. And that is just kind of the database that I'm using to choose the books for the book club this summer. So back to the book club, Out of Darkness is one of the books that we're going to be reading. It is the selection for August. Now in June, we'll be reading The Nowhere Girls by Amy Reed. And in July, we'll be reading a graphic novel by Art Spiegelman called Mouse. Now I could not be more excited about this, guys. So This is a book club specifically for the parents and educators and just advocates of young adults who want to know how to talk about these challenged and banned books with their teens and use them as a connection tool. Now, you can find more information and the link to that book club in my show notes at theishgirl.com EP157 Or you can just go directly to the sign-up page to learn more about this banned books club at theishgirl.com forward slash book club. Registration is open from now through the end of May, so you definitely want to jump on there and read about it and sign up. Now, also on my show notes page, there is information about Kelly and M and there's links to all their socials, to their websites, and of course, to their books if you want to connect with them as well. And again, the show notes are at theishgirl.com forward slash EP157. Okay, friends, I am so very excited that we got to hang out today. I really appreciate my time in your ears. And I hope that I see you at the book club meeting in June. Now, from an ish girl who cannot believe that I got to be in the same room with Melissa Gilbert at the Texas Library Association conference last week. I mean, seriously, third grade Amy is jumping up and down for joy that she got to see Laura Ingalls in person. I am so grateful to be in the middle of it together.